Welcome to Conversations for Life, a marriage and family podcast from Cross Life with hosts Jonathan and Kathleen. Each episode, we sit down and talk about things that matter most to those that matter most to you. We're so glad you're with us today. Please pull up a chair and join us in the conversation. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us today at Conversations for Life. I am really thankful to be joined by Dr. John Rush, who is the Assistant Professor of Economics at Covenant College. He has agreed to chat with me today about everything that is happening in relation to the novel coronavirus and economics. And there is a lot happening both in our personal lives and in the news that we see with government and policies. And so a lot of folks have been asking me and I've been asking others about what they think about things like the stimulus package, about their job situation, and we all have a lot of questions. So my hope today is that we will be able to talk with Dr. Rush about some of these things and get some really good insight from him. And at the end of the day, my prayer for all of us is that through this discussion, we are reminded once again that God is Lord over all things and his promises are true whether the stock market is good, whether the economy is good or not, and that these are what anchor us and anchor our souls in the midst of the trials of life. Dr. Rush, thank you so much for being with us today. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. So the first question I would like to ask in regard to this pandemic is, what thoughts do you have about where our economy was before all this happened? And where do you see it today? You know, just big picture, general idea. I think the, I mean, the biggest sort of most notable big picture thing that sort of stands out is we were in our longest expansion in history in the United States. Um, not the longest anyone's had in the world, but the longest that we've had. And so there's a natural tendency to, to wonder, you know, the longer it goes, is it going to end soon? Although just because it's long doesn't mean it's necessarily, you know, that a recession is going to come soon. I think among economists, it was viewed as fairly healthy. I mean, unemployment was very low. So lots of people were in work and, and that's a really important part of, of a healthy economy. Uh, the price level stable, which is also really important. So low inflation, inflation wasn't causing a problem. But there were some structural concerns that economists had been, have been talking about related to um, sort of inequality in education and healthcare access, um, concerns related to just the way the data economy and, and the tech sector is changing certain things and, and the way data affects market power. So giving, you know, reducing competition in certain sectors, which economists generally like competition. Um, and related to that potentially low productivity growth. So even though unemployment was low and the economy was growing, there wasn't, the growth was largely due to sort of getting more people into work rather than finding ways for people to get more work done in an hour of time. And for sort of long-term healthy growth, we like to see productivity growing, the ability to get more work done in an hour as economists. So that there there were concerns sort of structurally about how the economy was working, but certainly no, no one was particularly worried about this it kind of came out of nowhere. And so now it's all different. Of course, we're in a very strange situation. And the weird thing about this one is normally having a lot of people not working would be a sign of 
economic problems of a really problematic economy. But right now with the public health concerns, having people at home and not working is actually what we want. We're sort of doing this to ourselves intentionally to address our public health concerns. So the fact that unemployment is up is not in itself bad in this situation because people not working is what, what we wanted to happen. The question now is whether we can keep the economy healthy in terms of providing for the people who are in the economy, making sure that uh, those people are housed, fed, and are able to stay healthy for the duration of the crisis. This, is, this remains to be seen, um, and this is all unprecedented. And we are moving very rapidly, policies moving rapidly, but we are still starting from behind in terms of making sure we take care of the people that we are pushing into unemployment in order to protect our neighbors. So do you have any idea how long the current impact is going to last? Are we looking at a few months and then things will get back to normal? Or do you think this is going to be something that might take a couple of years or even a decade, especially in relation to things like unemployment? I know it's any man's guess at this point, but but do you have any idea if this is going to be a short-term or long-term impact? I mean, it's, as you say, it's a really hard, this is economists rightly try to waffle on this one. I mean, I think 10 years would be long enough, you know, to take sort of that long end you gave. In 10 years time, I, I would expect that we will have been moved far beyond the sort of temporary or direct effects of this. I think it's hard to say exactly, you know, how, how long it will be. It probably won't be years and years, but a lot of it depends on, I mean, just how the pandemic works its way through, how, how it spreads, how long we are pushing to slow the rate of infection through reducing economic activity, through reducing interaction. So the longer, the longer we do what we're doing now, um, to try to slow down the infection rate, the longer we have to do that, then the harder it will be to just bounce back to normal. The longer this goes on, the more the economy will start to change, sort of underground in a sense, the more firms will change, the harder it will be to sort of keep things kind of frozen as they were before it happened to just bounce back to the way it was before. So I think the longer this goes on, then the longer it will take to get back to normal and the less, the less that new normal will look just like what we had been experiencing before. So what right now, I mean, again, I'm, I'm not an expert on this. I mean, what, what areas are being mostly affected by this? Is it every sector or are there certain sectors of the economy that you think are being more impacted by it than others? You know, like manufacturing and I, I don't know. Uh, I, I do know small businesses, you know, everyone keeps saying small businesses are being affected. But in your own sense, what industries are being mostly affected or could experience the hardest hit from all this over the long term? Yeah, so the, the, obviously the first line of industries that get hit are the ones that rely on social gatherings or you know, a lot of direct social interaction. Since the, what we're doing, the first step is to tell people to stay home, not to gather in groups then naturally the first places that are hit by that are the places that rely on gathering in groups. So hotels, airlines, convention centers, restaurants. So these sorts of places get hit first and then their natural response, I mean, especially if you think about restaurants, restaurants are usually not really high margin 
businesses. And so they're gonna start laying people off because they can't, they can't sustain paying people with no revenue. And so then as those people lose their jobs at the coffee shops, the restaurants, the hotels, right, places like that, then they, they've lost their jobs, they cut back on their spending, and then it starts to hit the, the other sectors that translate more into manufacturing sorts of jobs, since people are, are now buying less, then companies don't need to produce as much stuff. Um, and then it starts to trickle sort of through the economy that way. So what about all these people who are losing their jobs? I know I've already heard a few stories from people that I know who have lost their jobs. Uh, a friend of ours, for example, is a travel agent. And, you know, of course, no one's booking travel, so their job is gone, at least temporarily. And I probably know more if I just stop and think about it uh, directly who have lost their jobs already. And, of course, there are many other people out there who are worried about losing their jobs soon if this keeps going on. Um, just recently, I think I saw, uh, too, that there's been you know, a huge spike in unemployment claims, which had been going down drastically over the past couple of years. So do you think, do you think there's going to be these jobs coming back in a few months? Or do you think this could really uh, be the beginnings of a, of a big slowdown of the economy, you know, like a domino effect that's going to take a lot longer to recover from? Yeah, that's, that's the big question. And again, to be honest, we can't be certain, but generally speaking, the big principles would be uh, the, and this, is, this sort of relates to the stimulus package too, in terms of some of the provisions in there. But economically speaking, if what we wanna do is bounce back as quickly as possible to the way we were before, then what we, what we need to do is find ways for companies to not have to lay people off. Mm. And that's the big challenge because uh, for the people who are also, again, those over 3 million people who've claimed unemployment, uh, not all of those are, are sort of permanently laid off, but, but many of them are. And the trouble then is once, once an employee has been you know, truly separated from the company, it's not gonna be as quick and easy to just pop back into the exact same sort of jobs and sort of economic structure that we had before. Mm. And the, so the, the better we can be at helping companies keep paying people, keep their employees on and actually pay them, then the quicker we'll be able to just go back to the way things were. I mean, of course it will, will never be exactly the way it was, but that's, that's the big, the most important thing if what, if what we want to do is want is a fast rebound at the other end. We need to find a way to help people not get laid off and to be paid. Um, and again, it's a weird situation and, and people are doing a public service by not going to work the way this is framed, right? To slow the spread of the disease, to help protect our neighbors. And it, it's, doesn't, it's not fair to expect them to bear the whole cost of that on themselves of lost income. So we, we do need, if we want this to not only work for us at the, at the other end in terms of bouncing back, but also be fair and just and what we're asking of people to do, then, then we need to find a way for people to continue to be paid while they're at home. Yeah. And um, what you're saying there is basically if everyone has been asked to stay home and that has had the economic impact that it is having and will have, and that therefore, you know, people will lose their jobs as a result. Those who don't lose their jobs need to think through what does it look like to love your neighbor because we're all in this together. 
And so what does that look like, both as believers and in the church? And, and then, of course, through policy decisions, we might want to think about as they're being presented to us by our government. Just thinking through, you know, how can we love our neighbors who, just based on whatever circumstances, you know, they, they lost their jobs and I didn't. So what does that look like? So let's actually talk about this stimulus package. Um, it's, it's being, you know, I, well, I think right now, actually, it's being voted on, or soon at least, uh, this first one. So again, this is way over my head. And, and I'm thinking through, is this a good idea? How are we paying for this? Is it really going to have the impact that people are saying it's going to have? And I'd love to get your thoughts on this stimulus package. And if you could break it down a little bit, that'd be great. I, I know that it's hugely complicated, but, but what exactly is this stimulus package doing? Where's the money going? Um, and do you think it's going to have the benefits that are being claimed for it? Yeah. So this is, you know, stimulus packages are naturally controversial. I mean, historically speaking, we, different people have different opinions about the proper role of government in a situation like this. And anything of this size, which it is unprecedented, it's, um, it's in dollar terms and in per capita, you know, if you were to divide it by the population of the country, it's the largest stimulus um, package we've ever had. It's, you know, the only thing that would be comparable is the spending during the Great Depression. That was certainly fewer dollars, but in terms of relative to the size of the economy, it was bigger than what we're doing, what is being proposed today. But so, I, I mean, to start with thinking about whether this is a good idea, I can kind of share with my thinking on this, which is that as sort of we've talked about before, in order to help us all protect our neighbors, our parents, our grandparents, uh, our, our friends or loved ones who have underlying health conditions, we're trying to slow the spread of this disease, which means asking people to stay home and not, you know, people like me, I, I can work from home. Covenant College is still operating. We're going to teach online. I'm still going to get paid, but that doesn't work for all companies. A restaurant can't, you know, serve people from home in, in that sense. And so there are people that are going to lose income. And the question is, you know, how, as you said, how do we think about loving our neighbors who are helping us all protect people we care about? It's not their fault that they've lost their job. It's not, they, they weren't bad employees. They weren't making bad choices. They're just being asked to do this for, for the good of others. And we want to make sure, you know, as a Christian, and, and I think many people who aren't even Christians recognize that we need to make sure that these people are provided for, that we're not asking them to bear the whole cost alone. And, and so I started thinking about if, what if this was a brother and sister in Christ? How do I think about this? Right. And if, we think about, I mean, the churches I've been a part of, many of them, you know, great in many ways, but they're not generally equipped to handle large numbers of families and individuals who are unemployed for an extended period of time. I mean, the amount of money it would take to, to sort of meet all their needs um, is, is significant. And, right. and many churches struggle, struggle just to pay their staff and often don't pay their staff what would be considered sort of an appropriate amount. So our churches are, are not generally equipped to solve this problem for people. And, and then this is compounded by the fact that the church is really afflicted in our country and others with a socioeconomic social distancing. Uh, the people that are hardest hit at the beginning are the people who are in retail and service industries, which tend to be lower income jobs and right. lower income 
people tend to go to church with other lower income people. And so you have local churches where huge proportions of the congregation could be unemployed and they're not gonna be able to do that. And there are so many just distinctions in the local church. Again, inter-church benevolence is, we're not, we're not set up for that. So, uh, so even just thinking about this problem in terms of loving our brothers and sisters in Christ, the church is not prepared and healthy in a way to handle this, how much more fundamentally ill-prepared is our society at large. Yeah, and there's also the theological, or, or I should say the Western false ideas that get leaked into the evangelical church, which is that even in a crisis like this, I would say that so many people tend to still think individualistically, and so we tend to respond you know, with the attitude of every man for himself. Um, and, and I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm not describing it very well, but I see... Um, I, I feel like I see pretty clear signs of that on a typical day, not to mention in this crisis. Yeah, I, I would absolutely agree. As an, as an economist, my, my professional life is spent studying how our society works. And the way our society works is by people being incredibly interdependent. And it's really interesting studying that and then, and then confronting this attitude that you described, which is so individualistic, where I think we do tend to make an idol out of self-sufficiency, right? Personal responsibility is, is a real thing that we need to, to, to take care of, but we, we can't idolize self-sufficiency because our whole economy is based on the premise that I depend on other people. Uh, I don't grow my own food. I depend on people thinking economics education is valuable enough to give me food to do it. And so, so this idea that in any, even in the best of times, the idea that people are sort of can, should be are expected to be able to sort of take care of it all themselves is a problem. So back to this package. So $2 trillion. I don't even know how much money that is. So my question is, how is this being paid for? Yeah. So the $2 trillion, I mean, it is a lot of money. I don't know how anyone could imagine what that you know, that's getting to be such a big number. None of us really know what that means. Um, in terms of, you know, the economy, we can measure it and say, well, that's about 10% of all the money that's spent on stuff in a year in the United States. Oh, that's actually helpful. So that's about 10% of what, would, would that be the gross domestic product? Is that what the term is? Right. Okay. So yeah, 10% of our, of last year's GDP about. It would be okay. two trillion, and it's also a, a similar compared to to our our level of debt. Um, so it 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 and and we will be paying for it through borrowing. So this will be a significant increase in in the national debt, certainly. And there, I mean that makes me nervous, right? Makes sense why people would feel nervous about that. Again, it comes back to for me. Um, in a culture that's so individualistic as ours, where extended families are not that strong, we don't have strong guilds, right, or labor unions or labor movements. Churches, as we mentioned before, have their own issues, and, and many people are no longer connected to churches. Um, and the, the reality is, for good or ill, in this context, the institution that is most capable of, of doing the sort of thing we're talking about doing in terms of making sure people get paid and rents get paid is, is the government. That's the institution we're left with. And we may not like that. We may not think that's ideal. But that's a different question. The ideal versus the reality of right now are two very different questions. We can talk about the ideal all day long, but right now when it comes down to the economy 
and this virus, I think the argument that's a good argument is that while $2 trillion is a lot of money, the economic cost of doing nothing can be far greater. If this crisis, you know, causes people to be unemployed, then that could set in motion a domino effect where you have, you know, one after the other over the next couple of years, you know, different industries, let's say, for example, the housing market, it falls. And so because of that, all the industries that are involved in the housing start collapsing. And this creates a domino effect that we could begin to get into a Great Depression type scenario. And, you know, how many trillions of dollars of lost income and lost productivity could happen as a result of that scenario, scenario versus this one. Um, now, of course, no one knows perfectly well what's going to happen. We're all doing the best we can. But I think from the cost standpoint, what is the cost of doing nothing? We certainly have to think through what that cost looks like. And, and I think the argument could very well uh, be made that the cost of doing nothing could be far greater than this, even though two, $2 trillion is a lot of money. Uh, would you agree with that? And I mean, please push back if you don't. No, I, I tend to agree. I, I, at the end of the day, think that, again, given the, the way our society functions, this is, this is probably the direction we need to go. Um, and it's, it is expensive, but it, again, it, I think it's appropriate because as you say, part of it is that if we don't do anything, right, there's, there's a cost, but that cost is being experienced by the people who are, who lose their jobs and the, mm -hmm. and the sort of lost work that's done. And again, as a Christian economist, you know, I, I try to approach this carefully because ultimately our goal is not to produce lots of stuff. I don't think the best economy is the one that has the most stuff because we're not called by God to just make lots of stuff. But, but we do want people to have an opportunity to work for the good of their neighbor and, and, and provide for their families through their work. And, and this, that's, a, that's a significant cost if we end up allowing, I mean, this 3.3 million is just the beginning. I mean, it's already right. more than that, right? It takes a little while to measure these things. So in that sense, we are a little behind. There are people who are gonna be unemployed and it will just sort of cascade if nothing is done. And, and that's sort of the weird, I mean, it is a weird thing about the sort of macro economy, the way it all works together, is it works well as long as everyone is confident in how well it's working. But once it starts not working well, then it can start going downhill really fast. So, of course, I think most of us have heard by now with, with regard to the stimulus package that individuals and families are going to be getting some money. But can you explain a little bit about what exactly is being done for businesses? Because that's where, uh, quite frankly, my little economic knowledge begins to dissipate. And I just really don't understand what the news is trying to explain. Uh, how is this stimulus package helping either small businesses or the large corporations? I've heard that the government is going to buy up debt, but I, I mean, I don't even know what that means. So um, could you help explain some of that? Yeah. So I think, as, as you say, the simplest part and the part that is publicized most heavily, which I think there are good political reasons for that, is these direct payments. As an economist, I think those are probably the least important parts of the, of the legislation. I think far more important is the, the expansion of the unemployment program, 
So, so trying to, again, thinking in terms of how are we helping the workers who are directly affected by this? And there's the two sides, as you mentioned, there's the corporate side that I'll address. And then there's the workers who have already been laid off side. And, and so I think far more important than the individual payment I'm going to get is the fact that they are expanding eligibility. So people who work for companies that aren't usually, aren't usually covered by unemployment program will be covered. And so I'm, I'm sorry, why, why would someone, are, are there certain industries that don't qualify for unemployment? Yeah. So, I mean, so often referred to as the gig economy. And so many, many sorts of jobs in, in that sector are not generally covered by unemployment insurance. And so they wouldn't normally have access to it. But, but the part of this is to make sure they do and that, that the benefits are more generous and for longer to, again, try to help maintain, keep people housed and fed while they're staying home, helping us all out. And then again, the, the other big important thing, as you mentioned, is the corporate side. And there's a number of different things they're doing, and some of them do get fairly complicated, and I haven't had a chance to read about every um, single part of it. The big, the big picture issues are generally um, a lot of loan programs, which they're, they're making available to corporations. So they're making a lot of federally guaranteed debt. Uh, so they're available to small companies. And the idea there is basically, seem from what I've read at this point, they will loan the company money. A small business could apply for a loan to help get them through. And the, the amount that they use to actually keep paying employees and other sort of basic necessary things to keep the company functioning would be forgiven. I saw that. And I saw even rent and utilities would be considered as part of that grant. And so that aspect, you know, whatever money is given out, if it's used for certain purposes that are going to help keep people employed, uh, help that small business owner keep the lights on for a few months while this is happening, that money doesn't have to be paid back. So that would, I mean, be a huge boon for a small business who's thinking about all of these big expenses. You know, their biggest expenses are rent, utilities, and definitely employment costs. So if that money is basically just given to you, well, then that's going to be a huge boon to help you get through these next few months. Exactly. And that's the hope. And again, I'm hopeful that this would, as, as you say, this, this would cover businesses' major expenses. And, you know, I think a lot of people who run small businesses want to be able to keep paying their employees. They want to be able to have their business healthy at the other end of this. So I think there's reason to be hopeful that for the businesses that, that have access to this and are able to to get access to it. Because again, the bureaucratic aspect of this is always a question to how hard right. will it be to go through the hoops and make it happen and how right. long will it take? Yeah, it's hard because people are feeling the pinch now. You know, How long could it take for someone to apply and get the money that they need to pay rent in April or pay rent in May for their business? Because of course, that timing is going to be critical for all this to really work. Now, I, I have heard that uh, in the news, some people are complaining that this package gives too much to big business. Uh, what, what exactly are they complaining about? And what does stock buybacks have to do with it? Because I've heard that phrase a couple of times, and I don't even know what that's talking about. And and just if this isn't relevant, in your opinion, to our conversation, we, we just ignore that and we can move on. Yeah, so I think, I mean, there's definitely issues here. And, and it is important to keep in mind that whenever, especially when we're trying to do something so fast, I, I am sympathetic to the argument. It's definitely not going to be perfect. And, and so part of that will be a, that corporation, you know, people will receive money that 
when many other people look at it might think, well, that that's not fair or they didn't need it. And I think that that applies to some of this large, there are large corporations that do have significant amount of cash on hand. And, and there, there's naturally a sense people might have, well, they don't need it, right? They should just pay up. And I think, I don't think that's entirely justified because again, this is not, this is a little different from the last crisis we had, which was created by a problem, you know, with how a particular industry behaved and that industry right. then received money, right? That makes a lot of sense. People got upset about that. But in this case, the, the pandemic is not caused by any industry. And so I think there's, there's less genuine cause to be upset. Now I do with the stock buyback stuff and some of that and dividends, there's a concern, right? So stock buybacks and dividends are basically ways to send money to the shareholders, the owners of the corporations. And so it, it does make sense that people were concerned about putting limits on the ability of companies to sort of take money from the government or borrow money from the government on really good terms. And then instead of using that money to pay employees and keep them on the payroll, there's concern they might use that money to just send more money to the shareholders. And so that's, I think that's, there's more, there's more reasonableness to that concern. Okay, so what is a stock buyback? Not to get too technical here, but but what is that? So that's basically just when a company, so a, a publicly traded company, so a company that you could buy their stock on the stock market, on the mm -hmm. Dow or something, um, the, the company itself could buy its own stock. So when the company uses money it has on hand to buy its own stock, that basically has the tendency of raising the value of the stock okay. because it reduces the amount of stock out there. Got it. And so that means the remaining stockholders who are the owners of the company, their stock becomes more valuable. So it's sort of they, they, their wealth rises through the value of the stock rising. Would part of the attraction too, since stock prices are low right now, that they could do that for a pretty good price with cheap loans from the government? Is that the idea? Yeah, that's the concern. Okay. Thank you for explaining that. I've been seeing it and I didn't know how to interpret that in relation to the stimulus package. Um, so I do think it's almost certainly going to be approved. Are you hopeful that it will help stave off some of the worst possible impacts of this economic downturn and everything having to do with this virus? I, I am. I think in some ways I'm quite confident that it will make things better than they would have been, especially on the side of the ex extended unemployment benefits. I mean, those, those are benefits. I mean, that's sort of the most obvious, like obviously people will be better off if they're getting paid or they're getting paid more than they otherwise would have been during this period, however long it lasts. And uh, the other stuff is less clear. I mean, it, it depends on assumptions about how companies will behave. Mm -hmm. I think there's good reasons to think that a lot of small businesses will make an effort to, to keep things going, to keep people on payroll if that, if that money is made available to them. And so I'm hopeful that that too will have, have a good effect. The, the only issue is I think we may not, it may not be obvious because the question is always how bad is it going to get? And, and I think there are, it's not unreasonable to think that if, if we do stay in this situation for a long period of time, we may be looking at a sort of halt in economic activity that's larger than anything we've ever had. And and the question just becomes, even though this is bigger than anything we, we did previously, in a sense, 
it, it may not be big enough. And so things might still get worse, but they would have gotten even more worse is sort of the idea. Right. And in some way we'll never really know. People are doing their best to forecast the future and then do these things now. And uh, of course, looking back, we'll always be able to see how things were imperfect or what could have been better, but we'll never know what could have been had we done nothing because that's just impossible to tell. I think the fact that you have most Democrats and Republicans both wanting to do this, uh, seeing it as a good thing, that tells me a lot. And hopefully it will help everyone calm down a little bit and stave off some of the worst panic type behaviors that could really bring a lot of uh, bad consequences for all of us. You know, Dr. Rush, at this point, I would love for you to talk to all of the believers out there who are worried about their jobs, about maybe paying for college for their kid next fall, perhaps, or their own retirement fund. Um, they're just worried. I would love for you as an economist and a believer to just take some time from your perspective to encourage us. Sure. I, I, to begin with, I'd just say I want to be very sensitive because I am someone who is still employed. I'm nowhere near retirement. Uh, I mean, I do, you know, have, cons you know, I worry if this really got bad, you know, what that would mean for my, my job. But I'm not personally dealing with the, the kind of worst uh, economic outcome of this right now. I'm, I'm definitely unsettled, though. I mean, this concerns me. I've been listening to A Mighty Fortress is Our God all morning uh, as I've been sort of reading up on, on these things and thinking about them. And so, so I don't know what exactly the right words are for people who are facing this um, right now. I, I do hope that they have ways to connect with their brothers and sisters in Christ and experience Jesus' grace through that. I know that uh, sort of personally, there are sort of three things that have been on my mind a lot as a, as a Christian and an economist looking at all of this, that uh, one is that, you know, this is really reminding me that we have very little control over our physical health, over our economic well-being, and it's really pushing me to, to you know, really stand on my belief in, in God's sovereignty and God's love and God's grace for the world in this time. And, and it also, you know, highlights the idolatry of money that's, that's you know, stuck in my heart. And I think all of us in, in America have it there. It's just that money is so central to our lives. And the idea that, you know, I can, I can find my security in, in money is so appealing. And right now, you know, God is, this is an opportunity where we can see how that's not, that's not true. Our, we cannot depend on, on our money to take care of us. And, and that's, that's a hard thing to really to work through, but it's important for us to do this. It's, the second thing is it's also really reminding me how, right, related to how little control you know, I have over things, my neighbor is similarly has a lot less control over his economic, economic situation than I would often like to think. And it's very obvious to us now with the sort of pandemic and sort of government directives for people to stay home. And, and that, I think, makes us very sympathetic to it. But the same principle holds true whenever we have a more typical recession and people are laid off because people aren't going out to eat anymore. So you're a waiter and you get laid off. It's not it's not my neighbor's fault that he or she lost his or her job in that situation. Um, they're they're not in control. People aren't in control of of how their jobs work out. And I, I so I'm hopeful. I think 
I would really like to see this situation push the church to be more proactive in thinking about our neighbors in the church and outside the church who really, who really can have their lives turned upside down and it's no fault of their own. And mm. it's just part of how life goes and, and to try to develop better ways, more proactive ways when we're, when times are good to prepare for helping our neighbors when times aren't so good, like we're having now. And then the third thing is I'm just really thinking about how much I need to pray for my leaders in a way that I haven't been as good at uh, before, because everything is so complex and big and there's so many unknowns. Only God knows the right answer to all of these things. And so our leaders from the president down to our mayors, our pastors, to moms and dads, they, they all need a lot of, of God's wisdom to figure out how to go through this. Amen. And of course, that includes praying for all of our leaders, whether they align with our politics and we like their policies or not, because they've been entrusted by God with the responsibility to govern. And that's something that we recognize no matter what. Um, I tell you what, John, if, if I could ask you, uh, would you be willing to do that for us right now? Would you mind praying as we close out our time? I'd love to have you pray for uh, what you just said. And we'll let that be our close for our time today. Would you mind doing that? No, not a problem. Thank you. Father God, we, we want to thank you, first of all, for your grace, for your care, for your son who not only saves us, but also upholds the world and maintains creation for us. We know that right now it seems like things are falling apart, both on the natural side and on the economic side. And, and it is, we are, we admit that we are scared and that we do not know what to do. And we just pray, Father, that you would be generous with wisdom, that you would bless President Trump, that you would bless the Centers for Disease Control, that you would bless senators and all the people in Congress with wisdom to know how best to respond to this situation, that you would bless the governors of states to know how and when to keep people home, that you would be with nurses and doctors as they make decisions, that you would be with pastors facing challenges of, of extraordinary pastoral crisis in people's lives, but also facing budget issues in their churches as a result of this. We pray for moms and dads out there who are trying to make good decisions for their families and who are facing situations where they don't know how they're going to provide for their children. I pray that you would, you would come alongside them, that you would provide for them through your church, that you would give them wisdom on how to teach their children about the world right now. Father, we rely on you and we pray that in all of this, your church would grow and that we would all grow in confidence in your sovereignty and your love and that your church would grow as a stronger as a family that really does take care of each other in these sorts of times. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, folks. I hope you've enjoyed this conversation and it's been encouraging to you. Y'all take care and have a blessed day. Thank you so much for listening to today's conversation. Don't forget to subscribe to our channel using your preferred podcast app and to join us again next week. Conversations for Life is a listener-supported ministry of CrossLife. CrossLife exists to equip and empower married couples and parents to cultivate life in the home. 
more information and additional resources mentioned in today's episode, please visit our website, crosslifetoday.org. You can also find us on Facebook at Cross Life Resources, Instagram, and Twitter. Until next time, take care and God bless.